turn in your Bible to the book of Exodus in chapter 32. Exodus 32, near the front of your Bible. Appreciate uh, Brother Mal and all the work he did in getting the children put together on short notice for that song. And, and unless you're, it's like the little children, right? Unless we think like that, we don't enter the kingdom of heaven. And uh, what an example. They're, they just, they want to sing for the Lord unashamedly. Hopefully we'll be like that too, right? Maybe this week. What we're looking at in this portion in Exodus, chapters 32 through 34, one of the pinnacle sections of the entire Bible. I mean, it ranks with Isaiah 6 and Nehemiah chapter 8 in the Old Testament and other portions in the New Testament of relationship with God. Now, we know from the New Testament that uh, the Apostle Paul tells us these things have been recorded for what? For for posterity so we have an accurate history of Israel, the nation? No, they've been recorded for us who've inherited the, the promises, right? And so we're looking at the life of Moses. We're titling this little series, uh, this being enamored with God. And the idea that Moses started off as we saw last time, last week, with the hesitancy. I mean, he, he, he understood, we know from Hebrews 11, that he, he came to understand the promises of Abraham and the covenant and, and wanted to enter in even though he had everything. I mean, he was a man, he was in Pharaoh's palace, could have been in line to be Pharaoh, we don't know for sure, but could have been, had all the education of Egypt, had all the wealth, had all kinds of servants, had everything he needed, didn't have to worry about a retirement fund. I mean, it was all taken care of, and he threw it all away for a relationship with the living God. And what an example he is. I mean, my, his story still rings out. Now, we saw how, you know, even, and we can relate to him in this, you know, there was failure in Moses' life. Once he understood God had called him to be a deliverer of his nation from bondage to slavery in Egypt, right? And God didn't work out, didn't tell him the details. And, and so like us sometimes, like me, uh, you know, we launch right, okay, Lord, I can do this. And we launch right off and get way ahead of God, right? And then what happens? We fall on our face. <laughs> we fall on our face. And sometimes, and I, I told you last time, I, I, I knew believers over there in Texas. I can say that now because they're with the Lord. But, but you know, they had, they had that kind of failure in their life. And for 40 years, they, they let that rule their lives. And it's like, you know, work through it and go on. <laughs> God is gracious. Rich in mercy, right? And, and so if you know someone like that, and you, and you might, you know, we have different people God brings into our lives. You know, this is a message of hope. The Bible is the gospel that whatever failure we might have, God can redeem that and use it for good. And only a good God can do that. Isn't that wonderful? That's part of the gospel. So there's hope for everyone. Whatever person you're thinking of now that you know in your life that you would say, well, he or she, no hope for them. They could never be saved. Watch out. Because God likes to reverse our nevers. <laughs> and say, yeah, wait till you see my sovereignty at work. Wait till you see my power. 
So Moses has had this experience and he's been growing in it. At first, he didn't want to go. When the Lord called him at the burning bush, we saw that. Moses said, oh, Lord, send someone else. I mean, you could just read in, in there that there's some depression there. He was rejected by his own people. If you ever suffered rejection, it's very painful, right? And it can set us back for years if we let it. For him, it was 40 years. That's a long time. The Lord still says, Moses, I'm not through with you. I'm going to use you to redeem my people despite, I mean, he killed the Egyptian, you know? I mean, he committed murder. But but the Lord says, you know what? I can forgive you and still use you if you let me. And whoever you are here this this morning, he wants to do that in your life too and in mine. So don't shut him out. Don't stiff arm him. Don't think that you're beyond hope because you're not. So Moses, this is another thing about the Lord we see in this interaction between Moses. God is so tender with him. He understands he's hurt. He understands he's suffered these things. And so he moves. So Moses says, you know, well, I can't speak in front of Pharaoh. It's not. And he says, okay, I'm going to send your brother, you know, Aaron, your older brother. I'm going to send him along. And so remember Moses uh, and Aaron get together and, and then they go to Pharaoh and Aaron is his mouthpiece at first. And we looked at that a little bit as we look at the interaction between Moses and Aaron and Pharaoh. And it didn't take long before Moses began to see the power of God. And he said, you know what? I can do this. And you begin to see now all of a sudden it's Moses taking the lead and pretty much soon Aaron's in the background. Aaron wasn't called to the work. Moses was. But he was holding back. And so the Lord brought in Aaron. To, but the Lord always knew it was going to be temporary. Moses maybe didn't. But God knew it. And pretty soon then Moses begins to go right to Pharaoh. And then near the end of the ten plagues, he's in total command against the greatest monarch of the world in his day, Pharaoh. I mean, Egypt was the world empire then. Don't think of Egypt as we see it now. You know, it's not like that now for sure. It's a long way. God bless them. You know, they, they've had a lot of struggles here in the last uh, eight years or so since the Arab Spring and all, but, and they're still suffering. I mean, their inflation is unbelievable and they can't get work. It's, they pray for people of Egypt. But back in that day, and so Moses, and then there's some interaction as they work through the wilderness, get to Mount Sinai. We could spend time in all of that, right? But we're, we're just highlighting certain portions here. And so we're kind of jumping ahead. He's already been at Mount Sinai. That began in chapter 19 and 20. He received the book of the covenant. That's chapters 20 through 24. And then beginning in chapter 25, he goes up to the mountain again to receive the design for what? You just studied it. The tabernacle. So we have this two long portions in Exodus in this section, chapter 25 through 31. We have the description of of all the details associated with the tabernacle. Then you have chapter 32 through 34 right in the middle that we're going to look at. 
And then he comes back to the tabernacle in chapter 35 to 40. So why the, why, and it's almost word for word the same in some of the instances. It's the same material, but he gives God's design for it in chapters 25 to 31. And then he describes the building of it in chapter 35 to 40. So just looking at the law of proportion, you know, when we talked about hermeneutics and study of the word of God, right? Years ago, we did that series that, uh, the law of proportion is one of, the, one of the principles we see. In other words, if God gives a whole lot of proportion in his word to something, that means it's important. And of course, the tabernacle is a picture of Christ. It's a picture of having a relationship with God. And to me, when you think of what that is. In other words, God's saying to Israel and through them to you and me, I made you for myself. I want a relationship with you. Isn't that awesome? The God of the universe wants a relationship. He made you relational because he's relational. We're made in his image. We don't make him into our image. We're made in his image. He's relational in the Trinity the three persons of Godhead were all relational in eternity past, and they still are, and, and he made us. <laughs> That's why we're frustrated when we don't have relationship with God and with others, right? In the church family, in the body of Christ. And so we have this sad departure. Here God is right while Moses is on the mount, Getting the design elements. And you remember what the Lord said in the writer of Hebrews says, you make it according to the pattern that I showed you in the mountain, right? Because it's important to God that every detail. And Moses, we talked about, you know, maybe some of you talked, did the study of personality types. You know, there's the four main person, D-I-S-C, and, and the, the C, the critical thinker, that's Moses. I mean, the critical thinker is a detail person, <laughs> And Moses is that. And that's who you, if God was going to pick someone to do the tabernacle, you sure want a detailed person, right? Because a detailed person is going to be punctilious in every little part of it to make it right. That's what God wanted. And so while he's up there, something else is happening down in the camp. And that's failure. And here again, we see, talk about the grace of God and the bottomless well of his grace and riches. So verse 18 of chapter 31 to set the story. When he had made an end of speaking with him on Mount Sinai, that is, the Lord made an end of speaking with Moses, he gave Moses two tablets of the testimony, tablets of stone written with the finger of God. The same finger of God in John chapter 8 that's writing in the sand at the issue there with the woman caught in adultery. The Lord Jesus is saying, I am God by writing in the same finger of God. And so chapter 32, now when the people saw that Moses delayed coming down from the mountain, he'd been up there 40 days. The people gathered together Aaron. And you say, Aaron, how could you do this? And you wonder you know, he had that opportunity of kind of being in the lead. And he really wasn't equipped for it. And, and But he did that because of Moses' weakness, right? And then when Moses began to move into prominence and Aaron less so, you kind of, I kind of wonder, well, Aaron, are you, are you still hurting about that? You know, maybe he's a little miffed that, you know, he wasn't the one 
that was primary in the ten plagues and so forth? I don't know. But this, this is really strange behavior from him. So the, the people, now remember the people, they didn't see the burning bush. Moses did. Aaron didn't even see the burning bush. Moses did, right? And so the people are still uneducated about the true and living God, like a lot of the people in the world we live in, right? And so they say, come, make us gods that we shall go before us. This Moses, the man who brought us up, they at least acknowledge he brought us up out of the land of Egypt. We do not know what's become of him. So Aaron said to them, break off the golden earrings, which are in the ears of your wives and your sons and your daughters and bring them to me. So all the people did that. He received the gold from their hand, verse 4, fashioned it with an engraving tool and made a what? A molded calf. Jeroboam would do this same thing some years later when the kingdom divided. You remember? He had a golden calf up in Dan and he had one down in Bethel. And they said, this is your God, O Israel, that brought you up out of the land of Egypt. So when Aaron saw it, he built an altar made a proclamation, they had a festival, 6, verse 6, and when they rose early in the next day, offered burnt offerings and so forth, and the people sat down to eat and drink their festival and rose up to play. And they're humiliating themselves before their enemies. Okay, so they're having this festival orgy kind of thing, it looks like, and just dancing around and worshiping a golden calf. So what's happening up on Mount Sinai while this is going on? The Lord, verse 7, said to Moses, Go, get down, for your people whom you brought out of the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. Now the Lord, Moses is going to correct them later and say, No, they're your people and you brought them out, not me. But you see how God is identifying Moses with his people. Your people whom you brought out of the land of Egypt, they corrupted themselves. They turned aside quickly out of the way which I commanded them. Remember, they had the sprinkling blood already back in chapter 24. You didn't maybe read that recently, but they actually got the blood of the covenant. And, and sprinkled on them, and they said, whatever he says, we'll do. And then here they are. They've made themselves a molded calf, worshipped it, and sacrificed to it. What was the first commandment? No other gods before me. What was the second commandment? You shall not make an image of me of any kind, right? And they're, they're violating both of them. And they knew the commandments they were given in chapter 20. And the Lord said to Moses, I have seen this people, and indeed it's a stiff-necked people. Now verse 10, interesting verse, huh? Let me alone, that my wrath may burn hot against them, and I may consume them, and I will make of you a great nation. Now this begins an interaction between Moses and the Lord, that some have said, uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones in his book on revival says this, this is kind of a recipe that God uses every time he's brought revival in church history. And he outlines it in the book, every, all the revivals that, that he's done some historical study. And it's interesting to think about, possible. But certainly we see steps here that indicate growth in intimacy between Moses and God. And Moses is like the Lord Jesus here. 
of whom he is a type. So God says to him, God is testing Moses here. I don't know if the Lord would have really done this. He's testing Moses to see what was in Moses' heart. Because he's saying, Moses, I'm going to make you another Noah. You know, all the nations came out of Noah. He says, so I'm going to, I'm going to make you another Noah, another Abraham. And, uh, and if Moses was full of himself, right? He might have said, you're right. It's probably a good idea. You better start a new nation with me. He was full of himself. I've known people in the Lord's work that might have answered that way. You know, that they were so full of themselves, they said, you know, well, (laughs) yeah, you're right. You probably need to ditch them and start it over with me. Which would be awful, sinful pride. Amen? So you see the test? And don't forget, Moses, you know, he was in line to be Pharaoh. So, I mean, he could have easily said, yeah, yeah, you know. But what does Moses do? Moses pleaded with the Lord his God. He intercedes for the people. Lord, why does your wrath burn hot against your people, whom you brought out of the land of Egypt with great power and with a mighty hand? Verse 12, why should the Egyptians speak and say he brought them out to harm them, to kill them in the mountain, to consume them? From the face of the earth. Turn from your fierce wrath and relent from this harm to your people. Isn't that beautiful? You see the intercession? The wrath is justified, but turn from it. He's interceding. And I believe, as our great high priest, the Lord Jesus may say this, but we have the reference in Hebrew 4, 14 to 16, right? And that he continuously lives to intercede for his people, that there are times he intercedes for you and me like this. Isn't that awesome to think about? And we don't even know it sometimes. We should, maybe if we're staying, keeping close to him in our early time with the Lord. Remember, Abraham, Isaac, and your servants, to whom you swore by your own self and said, I will multiply your descendants and so forth. Verse 14, so what happened? The Lord relented. And this is one of the first steps we see in, remember, revival starts in the church. And then it has an impact on unbelievers in the community. But it always starts with God's people. When God's people, remember we had that revival week back in May of 2015. And y'all are going to have a similar thing in April, I think, here again. When we were praying for revival. And in that we, we say, Lord, as a, as a body of Christ... Not just this local congregation, but maybe in this region or in this country. Lord, we intercede for the body of Christ in its failure like Moses does for the nation here. So it starts with an awakening. It starts with illumination. It starts with realizing there's failure. And would would anybody here argue that there's not failure in the church today in We'll just stay with this, within this country or this state. Are we being everything we should be before the Lord? Would, would we ever want to say yes to that? No, right? But it starts with admitting that. That's what Moses is doing. And Moses is reminding the Lord of the Abrahamic covenant. <laughs> like the Lord didn't need to be reminded of it. Moses is reminding himself of it too. 
But you see how he's saying, Lord, what about your reputation? You see what he did? He was more concerned about God's name and reputation among the Gentiles than he was about his own calling, his own area of service, his own ministry. Like we talk about my ministry. It's not my ministry. It's his ministry through us, right? But And he says, what will the unbelievers think? You brought them out. If they die out here, it looks like you failed, right? You see how he's thinking of God's name and reputation? When we pray, on Wednesday night or in the mornings or whenever, do we think about God's name and reputation or just about our needs? Aunt Susie's big toe. She heard it again, you know, so we, Lord, please, you know, or whatever. It was so selfish and so self-focused often in our prayers. When he did admit that, right? And begin to look at the big picture like Paul does in Philippians 1, 9 through 11, where the whole focus of his prayer for the Philippians is spiritual growth, growth in love, growth in, in their testimony and purity of their testimony. Only do we pray that, you know, this is something you say, well, we do that during revival week once in five years. That's not enough. I would submit to you. And I'm speaking to myself, too. I've got a mirror in front of me, too. It's not enough, is it? God's name and reputation, if you understand how great He is, and that only comes by spending time with Him regularly in the morning or whatever time of the day you do it, you begin to become enamored with Him and consumed with Him and treasure Him more than you treasure His gifts. Right? And we're thankful for his gifts, the gifts of salvation, the gift of justification, the gift of sanctification, the gift of glorification of the future, the gift of spiritual gift and being in the body of Christ and all these other things. We're thankful for his gifts. But then we we could step back and say, in Thanksgiving week, that's a good time to think of it, right? But we don't need the world to tell us to give that. We can do that every week, can't we, right? We don't need to do it one week in November. But, Lord, I'm thankful for you even if I didn't get the gifts. You're worthy of praise even if you didn't save me. Isn't he? Because of who he is. And that's what Moses is beginning to see. Moses is thinking outside of himself and even outside of the nation in their needs, at least, which right here, they could have been wiped out. They didn't even know it. They're having their festival and they're playing and they've got their music going and everything. And they don't even know that the wrath of God could have come on them right then. Just like people running up and down this boulevard on Sunday morning. They know there's a church here. They know we're singing praises to the living and true God. They could be in here with us. Right? We we let them come in. We don't lock the door. (laughs) Why aren't they coming in? And that's on them. Because God says, welcome. (laughs) The invitation mat is out. So the Lord relented from the harm which he was about to do to his people. What if Moses hadn't interceded? Well, we don't know. Right? Text is silent. What we know is Moses did intercede. And he's an example of the Lord Jesus in doing that for us every day. Probably more than once in a day. 
Speaking for me at least. Maybe you can skate through the day without sinning. But speaking for me, I want you, Lord, up there ever living to intercede for me all the time. And I try to remember to thank you, but I may forget because of my own failure and weakness, not because of your lack of faithfulness. Amen? Because he is faithful. But then the next step, Moses turned and went down from the mountain And the two tablets of the testimony were in his hand, the tablets written on both sides by the finger of God. And the tablets were the work of God. He reminded the writing was the writing of God engraved on the tablet. And when Joshua heard and so forth, for the sake of time, we skip down to verse 19. So it was as soon as he came near the camp, he saw the calf and the dancing and Moses' anger became hot. Now, Moses is a human being and has a sin nature like the rest of us right and we know he he has he must have a temper now we know the bible tells us he's the meekest man that lived on the face of the earth in his day that's in numbers 12 3 that's a that's a great attribute great attribute for elders right it's a great attribute for workers but it's a great attribute for all of god's people meekness gentleness teachability able to be molded that kind of a thing. Not self-assertive. The world is self-assertive, just the opposite of that. But Moses does have a temper because that's how he did the Egyptian, right? He's like, <laughs> he went right in there. And... So here he, he throws the tablets down. Now, I don't know that God was pleased with that because he'll say later, now go back and make the tablets which you broke. <laughs> God didn't break them. See, God withheld his anger, but Moses didn't. But I understand Moses' anger. <laughs> And so the next step in revival or in restoration of the nation here is he confronts the evil. And you have to do that. First, you have to be awakened to it and admit that it's there, right? But then the next step is you don't just admit it's there. You've got to confront it and deal with it. And that's what he does in a really graphic way, right? He, he says he takes that golden calf and he pulverizes it. <laughs> well, look at the words. I mean, the words are so graphic. Verse 20. He took the calf which they had made. He burned it in the fire, ground it to powder, scattered it on the water, and made the children of Israel drink it. Yuck. <laughs> and remember how Samuel dealt with Agag? You know, Agag was bragging. He said, I've I've escaped another one here. You know, Saul's not going to do anything. And Samuel said, give me a sword. And that's how we have to be with our sin. (laughs) If we really want to grow close to the holiness of God, that's how we have to be with our sin. And and that's what he gives us time to do. And I'm talking about the sin of just 24 hours ago, right? Because hopefully we do this every day. We deal with this because we sin every day. Amen? In some kind of a way. And God, but God has given us a remedy. He's given us a provision. And so Moses, you see Moses now on fire for the holiness of God or you and I. Does it matter to you the reputation of God's holiness is being trashed in our world, in our city? Just trampled underfoot. 
the name of Jesus, the blood of Jesus? Does that upset you at all? Or have you gotten so hardened to it and so thick in your heart towards it that he said, well, that, you know, the world, that's the way it is. That's not the way it has to be. Because we're here as a purifying element in the world, aren't we? As a church, the bride of Christ. We're here to show them, hey, it can be different. It doesn't have to be like that. And if we're just like them, and they don't see the difference, right? They're not going to be drawn to the holiness of God. They're not going to even know about it. That's part of why the Lord's left us here. And so Moses got that. And he deals directly with it, confronts the sin. And, and of course, then he has the Levites stand. Who's on the Lord's side here? Come to me in verse 26. And the Levites join with him. And this is why the Levites were brought into that special realm in the tabernacle. They stood on the Lord's side. We sing that, right? Who's on the Lord's side today? Is there anyone that's on the Lord's side that wants to protect his reputation? That's what Moses, is there anybody here that cares about that? Or all you care about is your pleasures and your dancing and your wild music and your golden cap. That's what he's saying to him. Do you care? And they had to go through the, now there were some apparently in their tents doing evil things and they just went right through it. And God brought judgment that way through the people. Not saying that we're to do that. But we are to be different. And, and Moses is expressing that. So verse 30, it came to pass on the next day. Moses said to the people, you've committed a great sin. So now I will go to the Lord and perhaps I can make atonement for your sin. Here he is again. What's he doing? Going back to prayer and interceding for them. This is so special. And then Moses returned to the Lord and said, Oh, these people have committed a great sin and have made for themselves a God of gold. Yet now, if you will forgive their sin, but if not, I pray, blot me out of your book, which you have written. See, Moses is identifying with the people. He didn't commit the sin. He didn't make the golden calf. He confronted Aaron. You know, how could you do that? Aaron said, well, you know, we melted the gold and out came this calf. Like, it, you know, just like Adam. You know, I, it wasn't me, Lord. I didn't, I didn't have anything to do with this, right? Again, deferring. But Moses wasn't fooled by that. But he says, blot me out of the book. Now, some have said, and it may be true, I don't know if I can quite go that far. It said that, that, that Moses is a picture of the Lord in the sense of dying for us. And in other words, block me out and let me pay for their penalty. I don't know that I could see that in here, but at least he's saying, I've so identified, it's my fault. I brought him out of Egypt, put it on me. Isn't that what the Lord Jesus has done for us? On Calvary, he's so identified with us as sinners, he put it on me. Remember Paul puts it in Philemon? You know, Philemon, Onesimus, and he says, anything he owes you, put it on my account. And Onesimus had stolen from Philemon, so yeah, he did owe him something. Put it on my account. See, again, that substitute. 
We're to love one another in the body of Christ like that. You realize that? That's what the New Testament says, especially in the upper room discourse, right? As I have done for you, do that for one another, right? What a picture of Moses. You see the, the growth in Moses here? He has moved a long ways from back in chapter 2 when he slew the Egyptian. And, and you know what? We're saying that that progression of growth in faith, in love for God and intimacy with God is available to you and me too. Okay? We're all on a faith journey if we're born again. We're all on a faith journey. And a lot of it's in our hands as to how close we get to God. you got to want it. Moses wanted it. I want it. <laughs> I want it for you too. I, mean, I want it for me. And so there's that level, there's that interaction, like with any relationship, right? Love doesn't work when it has to be commanded and forced. Love. Well, that love by definition is something that is out of the proper motive, that's responsive, that's active. So the Lord says, no, no, that's not the way it's going to be. Whoever has sinned against me, I'll blot him out of my book. Now, therefore, go lead the people to the place of which I spoke unto you. Behold, my angel will go before you. He'd already talked about that in the earlier chapters in Exodus, in the, in the book of the covenant. And, of course, the Lord did bring plague on the people, on the ones that were grievous with the sin. So the Lord says to Moses, chapter 33, verse 1, Depart and go up from here, you and the people. And I will send my angel, verse 2, before you and drive out the Canaanites and so forth. Verse 3, go up to a land flowing with milk and honey. Look at this. For I will not go up in your midst, lest I consume you on the way, for you are a stiff-necked people. In other words, he was just giving them the, the instructions for the tabernacle so he could go with them. See, again, God is all about relationship. He wanted to be with them. But they didn't want him. Do you want him in your life? Do you invite him in every day and say, Lord, I want to, I, you and I together in this. Because that's what he's called us to. Amen. The living Christ by the Holy Spirit within us. It is so awesome. Don't deny yourself of it because it's available to you. And, and so Moses is really troubled here. And so are the people. Because the Lord said, okay. Go ahead and go in the promised land. I'm going to give you the promised land. I'm not going to hold you back from that. But I'm not going with you. Lest if I go with you, I have to destroy you along the way. Why? Because God is holy and he can't tolerate sin. You say, well, I don't understand that. Because you don't understand the holiness of God. And neither do I. But we can grow in learning the holiness of God, can't we? And if you spend time in his word, you will. You begin to understand how awesome and holy he is and, and you're going to be drawn to him because of it. You're going to say, you are so awesome. I want to be near that. And that's what's happening with Moses. So the people were sad because the Lord said that. So Moses, in verse 7, down through verse 11, he takes his tent and separates it and puts them outside the camp. And this is another issue in the way of Revival. There comes a point where 
You become, yet you want to separate yourself from, not people, but from sin that you know is contaminating you in your life. And it's different for every one of us, right? Whatever those evil influence, wherever they're coming from, that we make a decision to separate ourselves from it. And we have to do it by the help of the Holy Spirit, right? Romans 8, 13, by the Spirit, you put to death the deeds of the body. You do it, but you do it by the Spirit. You have the power by the Spirit to do it. And it's different for every one of us what those evil influences are, usually connected to our former life and so forth before we knew the Lord. So that's another step in revival that we see in in these historical revivals that occurs. The people begin back in the, in, in New England, where, where I'm from, the Great Awakening in 1740 to 42. Time of Jonathan Edwards, a preacher there in Northampton. I've been to the place where he was preaching. It's powerful still. You know, that meant, you know, they turned away from it now up there. But they had to close all the saloons and the bars because nobody was going to them. They had to close down all the houses of ill repute and all of that because holiness was coming in, even amongst the community when they didn't even know the Lord. It was just the influence of the church and the Holy Spirit working in the church. Could that happen here? According to your faith. Right? According to your faith. Maybe that's something we'd be praying about towards next April. But there is power when we agree together in prayer before the Lord, especially when we're praying in the Holy Spirit according to His will. So Moses says in verse 12 to the Lord, See, you say to me, bring up this people, but you've not... Let me know whom you will send with me. You said, I know you by name, talking about Moses, and you found grace in my sight, and he had, and Moses knew that, and you have too, right? If you're a child, you found grace in his sight, right? That's why you're here. That's why you have a relationship with him. Now, therefore, I pray, if I found grace in your sight, show me now your way that I may know you and that I may find grace in your sight. Continue to grow in that grace and consider that this nation is your people. In other words, we do want you here in our presence, Lord. And the Lord agrees. My presence will go with you and I will give you rest. And look at Moses in verse 15. I hope this is your prayer. When you go out the door tomorrow morning into whatever part of the world you're going into, I hope you have this prayer and I hope I do. If your presence doesn't go with us, don't bring us up from here. If you're not going with me, I mean, some of the places over these years in itinerant ministry and, and the Hall's bands can talk about it in Africa too, I'm sure. There are places you're going to where you may not come out alive. You knew it going in. Well, then you'd want his presence with you for sure, right? But just when you think you don't need his presence, you think, well, this isn't a place of temptation for me. That's the time when Lucifer is going to send a fiery dart and get you. We need his presence every day. We just don't see it sometimes. But Moses got that. He says, you know what? We're staying right here. (laughs) We're here at the Mount Mount Sinai in the wilderness. Canaan's up there, but we're not going unless you go. Unless you go with us, we're not going. You see the relationship, how he's grown in his relationship with the Lord? He's saying, Lord, you're part of us. We're part of you. That's what the Lord Jesus said in the upper room, didn't he? 
I and you, you and me, the unity, representing, agreeing together with God. And two walk together unless they be agreed. In order to be in a unified agreement, we've got to agree with God. And so that's why they're able to build the tabernacle in chapters 35 to 40. And guess what happens in chapter 40? The Shekinah glory comes down, fills the tabernacle, and they have the camp around the tabernacle, and boom, 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 they march over, cross into Canaan, take the tabernacle. God goes with them. And he doesn't leave them until the book of Ezekiel. <laughs> but that's a whole different story. They persisted in rebellion at that time. But this isn't all. This is, this is amazing even up to this point, isn't it? But Moses isn't satisfied. And I hope you're not either. And me either. In our growth with the Lord. And in a desire for intimacy with Him. In a desire to be close to Him. I hope we never get satisfied. And get smugly satisfied, Right? And just put it in neutral and think we can coast. Because when you put it in neutral, you don't coast. You regress. You go backwards. <laughs> you lose ground. You lose ground. It's a supper lost, Paul said. So Moses, he says, How then, verse 16, will, it, will you know that your people and I have found grace in your sight? Except you go with us. So we shall be separate, your people and I, from all the people who are on the face of the earth. Wow. That's separation, huh? We are going to be your people. We're committed to you. We're surrendered to you. We're happily, gladly yielded to you in our lives individually and corporately. Right? When an assembly comes to a place like that, Spurgeon said, they're a powerhouse in their community. There, there is no power that can stand against it when that happens. And, but see, Moses is still not satisfied. So the Lord says, I'll do the, also this thing you've spoken for. You found grace in my sight. And then he says in verse 18, please show me your glory. <laughs> you ever prayed that? I mean, when you come to the word of God, because that's where you're going to see it in this era, in this day and age. You come to the Word of God and you see the glory of God by the Holy Spirit illuminating the pages in your heart. And you know afresh how much He loves you, how much you're forgiven, what He has for you in this life and in the life to come. And it's rich, enriching, and glorious. So Moses says, just show me you. Show me your glory. You know what God did? He let him see it. This is where Augustus' top lady, you know, wrote his song, The Cleft. He hideth my soul in the cleft of the rock. He's picturing this, this incident here. So we're familiar with the story. I like what God says in verse 19. I will make all my... Does he say Glory. Now, does that surprise you that he would use, when he speaks about it, the summary of all his attributes, he uses the word goodness, which the Hebrew word tov has, has the idea of beauty in it too. It, it's, it has a broad range of meaning. And, and our word even for goodness has a beauty element. It can, right, to it. And uh, in the Greek, they had two different words for good. And one word, kalos, had to do with beauty in the sense of 
intrinsic goodness. There's a beauty to that, right? When you encounter a human being like that. But God, even more so, I'll, all my goodness pass before you and I'll proclaim the name of the Lord, my reputation, my character. But he said, you cannot see my face for no man shall see me and live. And the Lord said, here's a place by me and you shall stand on the rock and it shall be while my glory passes by. I will put you in the cleft of the rock. Who puts him in the cleft of the rock? God does. And I will cover you with my hand while I pass. And then you will take, take away my hand and you'll see my back, but my face you shall not see. God went to all that detail because he had a human soul that longed for intimacy with him. And God made it happen, didn't he? You think he'd do that for you or me still? You don't have to be in Mount Sinai in the Middle East. It's hard to get to right now anyway. And there are two locations, so we're not sure if it's in the Sinai Peninsula where St. Catherine's Monastery is. I think it's the location in Saudi Arabia on the other side of the Red Sea. But either way, both of them have a burn layer, and so we don't know. For the people, they're standing and looking. The mountain's all aflame, right? God's a consuming fire, and Moses is up there in it. They don't. He comes down, and his face is shining. You know, Paul talks about that in Second Corinthians chapter 3. But the glory on Moses, he wore, you know why he wore the veil? He doesn't tell us in Exodus. We find out in Second Corinthians 3. He wore a veil, not to veil the glory, but to veil the fact that it was fading. <laughs> Moses didn't like when he was in the presence of the Lord. And Paul says, you know what? It doesn't have to be fading for you and me as born-again Christians. When we see the glory of the Lord in his word, right? 2 Corinthians 3.18. He molds us into the Lord's image from one glory to another. What we have is way better than this. And I have a feeling, Moses and then David, when you read some of these Psalms and and David's heart for God, I think they're going to ask us, what was it like to have the indwelling Holy Spirit to be on that side of the new covenant? We didn't have that. We were under the old covenant. And we loved him and just devoted ourselves. What was it like for you? You must have really devoted yourself. Yeah. Well, you know, we... Just just humdrum went through our lives, you know. What's the score of the football game? Or whatever, you know. And this is what he holds out for us. So I I think the Lord's given us a challenge here, isn't he? I'm feeling it for myself. <laughs> Saying, look, this is what I hold out for you. Do you want me? Do you want me close in your heart and life? I sent my son to enable this. It cost me a lot, the father can say to us, to make this available to you. Do you want it? If you want it, come close. Come near. So, Father, we thank you for these reminders from your word. And we pray, Lord, that we'll meditate on these things. Think about what you've done on Calvary, Lord, and that man of Calvary, the amazement of what he's done to open up the door 
that we might come in. As, as we see in the book of Esther, the scepter has been put out. Access is granted by the Holy Spirit. Help us to enter in. And help us to help one another enter in and help us to intercede for one another in these things that we all may be purified vessels fit for the Master's use until you call us home or take us out by the rapture. And that's going to be glorious too. (laughs) Be with us as we part. Take us all home safely. We thank you, O Lord. We think of those people in that terrible wreck on I-95 this morning and uh, pray that there weren't any serious injuries and that the first responders took care of them. But again, Lord, we go before you, serving you with gladness. We pray in the Lord Jesus' name. All God's people said, Amen. Amen.